This is the Cosmosphere Podcast, Episode 21, Engineering Flight Test, From Concept to Customer. This month, we've got Aaron Tobias, the manager and chief pilot for the engineering flight test at Textron Aviation. Apologies on the audio. We're still trying to get a better recording setup for the Coffee at the Cosmo events. It's on the docket for 2020, so stay tuned. Without further ado, I'm going to jump into our presentation today with Mr. Aaron Tobias. Aaron is an engineering test pilot, excuse me, engineering flight test chief pilot and manager at Textron, Textron Aviation. He has been there for 18 years and has worked on nine new aircraft programs. He's logged over 5,500 hours in more than 50 different kinds of aircrafts. He is an associate fellow of the Society of Experimental Test Pilots and an active EAA Young Eagles pilot, giving more than 400 youth introductory flights here out of Wichita. He's a graduate of Cosmosphere Future Astronaut Training Program. You may have read about him in our printed newsletter, the Where Are They Now article. And he's a graduate of Lyons High School in the University of Kansas. He shares his love of aviation with his private pilot wife, Kimberly, who has joined us today. And their two children, Morgan and Kayla, both whom are Cosmosphere Camp alumni. So can we please welcome Mr. Aaron Tobias. My specialty is airplanes, not microphones. If <laughs> <laughs> I got a headset on a microphone, I'm good. <laughs> there we go. How about that? Better? Yeah. Well, I'm known for having a loud voice, so I'll just speak up anyway. Uh, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Get to come back and share with friends uh, some of the. Uh, Interesting things that I get to do in my day-to-day life uh, down at Wichita, Pictron Aviation. Uh, the, uh, the merger of uh, Beechcraft, uh, Hawker, and Cessna that occurred in 2014. There we go, some there, though. Um, uh, I choose that I've been down there for about 18 years since graduating from the University of Kansas, so the reason I was basically there. What we're here to talk about is to give you a little inside look at what an engineering or experimental test pilot's life uh, looks like, what's our role uh, in the business, uh, specifically at Textron, but also a little bit of a snippet into what uh, some others uh, around the world might do similarly. Most people think of test pilots, and they might think of this picture with uh, Orville and Wilbur, uh, designers, test pilots. Uh, um, a little bit of adventure uh, involved in that, of course. Uh, others might think of test pilots in a little bit different way. Some pictures like this around here with some of the, the, uh, the age old uh, NASA folks from very early on, or uh, even the occasional dreadful uh, uh, test pilot might uh, try to settle up and go for a ride with it. Well, uh, as you'll soon see, your life is uh, certainly uh, maybe a, a few slivers of reality from some of the craziness there but mostly a, a pretty serious business that involves actually a little bit more uh, like that first picture with Orville and Wilbur involved. Um, our role as an engineering test pilot is primarily as an engineer. More than 90% of my job is not flying an airplane, but rather working with the engineering team, uh, the mechanics, the designers, uh, the marketing folks, all across uh, the, the segments of the industry is represented by the, the circles up here. Just some snippets uh, of some of the different types of things that are involved in our roles in engineering flight tests. Uh, we're going to talk about each and every one of these. We're going to spend uh, a little bit of time uh, on a few of them, and a whole bunch of time on the, the most fun one, which is uh, probably why most of you are here. Um, some of the concepts, how we get involved. So we work with the uh, design marketing team. 
They think that the customer might be interested in purchasing or uh, utilizing a new type of aircraft. And we start, we start talking about what that might look like. So they start developing what I refer to affectionately as cartoons, uh, paper airplanes, um, things that uh, you know will just, will just look like a good idea. So here's an example of a rendering uh, of an actual concept that we worked on a few years ago. Um, Here's another one uh, that I worked extensively on, uh, not yet, uh, not yet come to a reality, uh, but uh, nonetheless, it was a team of great folks that, that spent a lot of time on that. This one you might have seen in the news lately is the Denali, a single engine turboprop. Um, they're uh, nearing completion on the bills for that. Uh, exciting new program except for one show in the uh, in the months ahead here. And this one is the one that uh, I call my uh, my current baby. Uh, this is Guy Courier. Uh, so I'm responsible for this program. Uh, I have been working on this one for more than two years, so I'm scheduled to do the first flight on that one coming up this spring. So we're excited about that. Give you a little bit of inside uh, glimpse of what that kind of looks like from some previous programs that I've had the privilege of uh, working on. Uh, this one, uh, most notably our launch customer is uh, FedEx. So it's quite uh, on this airplane, the picture doesn't really do it justice. But uh, if, you, if you check the, uh, the web, you can read all about it uh, with uh, the FedEx. But what, what is uh, down in the detail? Just a glimpse of some of the things that are involved in the last, for instance, two years of my life in working on that particular design. Now, these examples are not from it because it's not yet uh, publicly available information, but these are from some previous models that I've worked with. Uh, that are certainly not readily available information. But some of the things that we have to take into consideration as test pilots uh, are uh, working with the team developing a comfortable airplane that has uh, consideration for ergonomics, functional utility versus safety of it, uh, incorporating new technology elements, uh, physics limitations behind what we really want to do with it. Uh, and then, of course, uh, are the regulations, do they exist, or do we need to work with the regulators to develop regulations, if you will, uh, in order to uh, ensure that it meets an acceptable standard across the industry. And uh, last but not least, we are working for a paycheck. So if it's too expensive, nobody can buy it, and then we don't have a product to sell. Why I put this slide up here is, again, just a tiny sliver of some of the considerations that have to go into, for instance, cockpit design. As a pilot, being an operator in the cockpit, we want this thing to fly right. So this looks like uh, you know, pretty standard uh, profile view of one of our jet cockpits. Moving the pivot point of that control column about an inch and a half can have a significant difference on how the airplane feels. So we spend time in mock-ups and in simulators ironing out thousands and thousands of tiny details where every single switch, knob, lever, uh, control column in this example goes. Some other examples of that, these four center pedestals are between the pilot and the co-pilot. Uh, quite, quite a few dozen uh, controls of things on there. Every one of these is different. These are all iterations. Um, or jet programs that we went through. Of course, they're just uh, too small to actually read what's actually on there. But nonetheless, it's critically important that we get the things positioned in the right place so that when the pilot has an emergency or abnormal situation, he reaches down and he needs to deactivate a hydraulic pump, he doesn't accidentally turn the engine off. Very important subtleties that go into exactly where the position of the switches and the controls and things are to make sure that we, again, provide a reliable and safe aircraft uh, for the customer utilized easily. This is an illustration of one of the tools that we use for that. Plastic, uh, 3D printed, paper, wood mock-up. Um, we can make iterations on this thing in days instead of weeks or months uh, and evaluate things. This is all built precisely to the engineering drawings that are going to be used to make the metal or composite, whatever the aircraft is made out of um, frame. And ultimately, once we iron it out, that's uh, that will be uh, functionally representative of the real aircraft. So, um, some more illustrations of things we get involved with technology-wise. Um, we've had the pleasure of working with some uh, new companies uh, getting into the aviation business in recent years. Uh, everybody's heard of Garmin. Uh, they only recently got into the transport category, the larger aircraft business. Uh, we were the first market entrant with that with the Sovereign Plus 10 Plus programs that uh, worked back in 2010 timeframe. But on those programs, we got to work with them and actually design some of the displays and the layouts and things 
uh, to uh, be able to provide capabilities, features, situational awareness, and such uh, to pilots. And um, it's really cool to be a part of that and work with those guys and help design that. It is a uh, the catalyst. It's a little annoying that all of our competitors get to take our hard work and, uh, and buy it off the shelf from our, uh, our supplying uh, vendors. But nonetheless, uh, we, we are excited to work with them and, and uh, develop new things that, that uh, are exciting for all of us. So some of the things, the considerations that go into uh, the design early on, once again, is um, we will sit in that wood and paper uh, mock-up, and we will work out the, wind, the, uh, the simulated windshield. We'll put on virtual reality glasses, and we'll see an illustration similar to the one on top right of the runway environment. We'll work with the flight control engineers to design what this cockpit and this uh, the, uh, wing position, the flat settings and things like that need to look like in order to safely operate the airplane. Well, that's a pretty good view of my runway right there. What happens if the flaps get stuck in the takeoff position? You gotta come back into land. Mm, a little bit less visibility that runway. Now what happens if the flaps get stuck in the cruise position? You can barely see the end of the runway when you're coming into land. That's sort of a big deal. So I worked a program about uh, 12, 14 years ago where we had some significant redesign work that we had to do uh, uh, all too late, which means expensive, by the way, in the program uh, in order to deal with this. You five couldn't see the runway. So we fixed it, and that's one of the cool things that, that we get involved with. Uh, other things that people don't think about, some of the ergonomics and just creature comforts, you just side pockets in the cockpit. Where do you stick your checklist, drive pad, or whatever? So exactly um, where that's located and how accessible it is uh, becomes really important for the, the overall customer experience uh, to take the operate the aircraft. This is just a snapshot illustration of one of the simulator tools that we use called Sargano Quality Simulator. They take the models from the wind tunnel and all the, the CFP and, and all the computer uh, predictions. Uh, they drop them into the, the whole bank of computers. It's right off the left side of this, this picture here. And then uh, myself and my colleagues in line up front. And we can put any airplane we want to in this thing. And we go out and see how it's going to feel. We've been working extensively in there the past uh, few months here as we're getting ready to do the first flight on the, the Sky Courier, um, identifying some pretty uh, key um, elements, both from uh, control building, handling, and uh, safety standpoint. We'll go out and we'll practice high risk flight test maneuvers in this thing and make sure that we've got the technique down and everything that we're doing to, to really minimize the risk associated with it. So, of that circle, we just talked about all of those things. Uh, most people uh, don't really find it too entertaining to talk about those very long, so uh, I know the coffee isn't uh, espresso this morning, so I don't put you to sleep and talk about them for the next long so. But that's a quick snapshot. That's the last uh, two years of my life. Uh, on one program. Uh, this next bowl is going to be about the next two years of my life. So, um, illustration of uh, how the design work goes into it and then how it's happy to apply. This is the Vision Latitude that the first flight on this baby uh, back in February 2014. We get to see that here in just a second. Oh, but before we go flying, safety first, right? Everybody here, you do that all the time. So job number one, uh, the cliche say safety first, well, no cool, it is safety first in our business. Uh, the rule in flight test is take no unnecessary risk. Okay? It's a risky enough job as it is. It's terrifically unforgiving. You screw something up, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to take tremendous care, all kinds of measures that we can possibly put our heads together with to minimize that risk. Uh, all across the board. That's working from our designers, our mechanics, the builders, the maintainers, um, the flight test engineering team, the instrumentation folks, all across the board. Um, running through this dozens and dozens and dozens of times before we take an airplane flying. And then every single time before we take an airplane flying subsequent to that. So even if it's an airplane that's got a uh, thousand hours on it already, we're running through this process every time. Some of the things that we use as absolute last ditch uh, safety uh, safety mechanisms. You never want to rely on this stuff, right? So uh, it's kind of like a seatbelt in car, you really want to rely on that thing. So you don't drive crazy, do you? No. The last ditch. So uh, this is just an illustration. You might have seen some of the videos I had going before the, uh, the uh, 
we got started here. Um, this, a, uh, this one particular, the high-speed recovery shoot would be digesting. I'll show you a video in just a second what high-speed digesting looks like. Uh, you lose control of the aircraft. The idea is you push a button in the cockpit and this thing pops out, slows you down, and you can recover and come back there all in one piece. Uh, the other form of this is a much bigger shoot that looks nearly identical. It's spin recovery or heat saw recovery to shoot that, that hangs off the back. And you pop that thing out and you get into an excessively slow heat saw condition that you can't recover from. Thing pops out, the airplane drops nose down, we push another button, the thing jettisons, and then we fly up the bottom. Again, ideally, uh, come home to life and kids. Uh, if all of that stuff doesn't work, um, this really is a no kid last ditch. This is, everybody always asks, do you have ejection seats before we go handle it? There's only two airplanes in our fleet that have ejection seats, and, I'll, and uh, I'll show you those. Uh, you saw them in the videos as well as Scorpion and the T6, but the T6 uh, is the same thing. But everything else has a bailout patch. Uh, varying types. This is in the floor. This picture doesn't really get do it justice, but this is in, the, in one of our business jets. Um, this is a plug in the belly. Uh, we pull a handle in the cockpit. Uh, this thing blows out, and you get out of the seat, wearing your parachute, uh, you climb back into the cabin, you turn the corner, and you go out the hole. Yeah, nobody said it's good on us. Right? <laughs> yeah. Do all that while the airplane's tumbling, presumably out of control, which is all reason you're trying to get out of in the first place. Okay? So, uh, it's buying a lottery ticket, no cool. Uh, your, your odds are pretty stinking slim, but, but hey, it's uh, one more chance, right? Um, this thing in the middle here is a saw. Uh, you know, rescue tool, basically, uh, found himself on the ground and uh, the doors were jammed, you couldn't get out, and then we have um, procedures by which you actually grab this thing and cut the side of the airplane open and off. So, um, this stuff here, uh, we got this from the uh, NASCAR type of folks. It's, uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. It's a non-toxic stuff that uh, sprays on you as a person, covers you, and it gives you uh, maybe uh, 30, maybe 20 to 30 seconds of fire exposure. Um, before you're uh, completely crispified. Uh, these Nomex suits, they're good for about five or seven seconds. Um, and uh, that's about it. Uh, so that's, uh, we've added that um, in the past uh, last 20 years or so we've been using this stuff. Well, full character. Thank God we've got And these are just an illustration of some of the spray novels of how that goes in the, in the cockpit. I keep mentioning, uh, while we as a pilot we climb on board and go flying, uh, we've got a tremendous team of folks on the ground that are keeping us safe. There's absolutely no way in the possible we can look at 3,000 different parameters that are being collected on the instrumentation system in order to ensure that everything's working like it's supposed to, the wing's not getting too much stress in it, um, you know, whatever the different situation that we're testing for the day. So we've got a team of folks, we've got three of these rooms, um, Near identical setups, we beam down uh, everything from video to audio to about 3,000 different uh, uh, data parameters coming down in 700 samples a second, something like that. Um, and these guys are watching the squiggly lines and keeping us, uh, keeping us safe because there's stuff going on in this pilot. There's no way you can see what's going on in that airplane, right? So we do two things uh, as we move through some high risk testing. Uh, to help with that, we got these extra eyes and ears on the ground, and we also will put another airplane uh, chase on the wing with us. And so um, you'll see a lot of videos uh, of chase airplanes. Uh, it's not actually terribly often that we do that uh, really primarily for high risk for uh, marketing operations. Um, so uh, that being said, uh, the, uh, the telemetry team on the ground, you'll get to see a little bit of what they do here in just a second. But, uh, so what's it look like to do the program going? Getting ready to do a first flight coming up here in 17 months. This is the original Citation first flight. Uh, these guys uh, uh, took the first jet out at Cessna Build and uh, not terribly different today. Uh, much much the same. It's a it's quite a quite an event. Um, wow, it's terrible loads. Sorry about that. Uh, we'll keep moving to see if it goes away. Uh, but the bottom line is flight test, and you do it in three simple steps, right? Uh, first of all, you get the first flight. You take off and you land. No big deal. Um, and that's pretty much what it is. You go out and hard the envelope. You want to safely get the airplane airborne. You can learn a whole lot of new stuff about it. You're not doing anything uh, really notionally crazy or uh, 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 
interesting other than just simply flying the airplane. Um, but the other really important part about first flight is don't forget to smile. It is a humongous milestone event, both for the team that has been working for, in some cases, a decade on designing this vehicle. Um, it's a huge event for the customers to walk out orders to buy this thing. Uh, so it's a great uh, it's a great day overall and it goes uh, goes well. Here's a quick look at what that looks like. This is back in 2013. Citation latitude. So the first few clips uh, just kind of show where the airplane built there in the engineering uh, experimental hangar. Video from Chase Airplane, like I mentioned. So, uh, eyes outside looks like the uh, halfway bridge of the little movie, so I'll put my foot on this plate. So, there's the first takeoff. Wait for a beautiful day for work. You don't do anything. You wait here, flaps, you don't touch anything until you get up to a higher altitude. Chase Airplane comes on plane, looks things over really close. It looks good, no leaks, no panels missing, nothing's vibrating, usually, whatever. All right, let's cycle here. Let's make sure we get this up and down before we do much else so we can get back on the ground safely and set number two is plan. Take a close look. It's carefully inspecting all the different uh, segments of the airplane to make sure that everything's holding together tightly. Uh, this is one of my favorite segments of the video, actually, because we don't normally get to do this. I say, oh my goodness. The airplane flew so well, we were able to do some really cool transformation stuff. This is fun. And so that's where all this video comes from. Uh, normally, the chase plane stays behind the test airplane, but I was flying the test airplane, and I'm actually able to stay on the chase airplane, which is you know, a different kind of difficult, especially with a ramp airplane. So after we finish the uh, uh, basic engineering part, I guess I've got some fun for uh, marketing publishing kind of stuff. The employees were fly by, put the team out on the ground there, uh, assembled and celebrating, you know, it's pretty good February day. Come back around, let me bring it in for that very first landing. Everybody I was asking, what's going through your mind? The first landing, what's the vibe, whatever. And uh, honestly, by this point in time, everybody was flying so great, I can only think about one thing. Don't bounce. Everybody got in the landing. Every single person, don't bounce, don't bounce, don't bounce, don't bounce. Woo! Don't bounce, don't bounce. It's on video, school. I'm telling you, you're on airline flight. You don't get the entire flight based on the landing, right? So I hear the taxi in, and now I'm like, boy, folks, we're supposed to do this big uh, speech and stuff, and talk to people afterwards. Being an engineer, not really usually happy with this kind of stuff. But, uh, come out, the CEO's supposed to be the guy to come greet me. They pulled the switch room on me at the last minute, and they kicked it still like, oh. <laughs> And I love it. <laughs> So that's a quick glimpse on the inside of what a first flight can look like. We're hoping for something similar uh, coming up this uh, this uh, spring. All right, from there, now we're going to get down to business, right? All the crowds go away, all the lights turn off, and a little expansion is next. But what is that? Well, we answer the questions. How slow can you go? Really important. That's what determines your takeoff landing distance, controllability, things like that. Then how heavy and light can you go? And what CGA trains? How many people can you put on this airplane, a cargo, whatever the purpose is? And this is just an illustration uh, of what a center gravity model looks like. So lightweight, uh, forward CG, uh, heavyweight, half CG. So we got to work all the way around this puppy with all kinds of different loadings on the airplane. And then, answer the how fast can you go? So we're going to go down here, we're going to go about as fast as we can go down low. So we go way up high. This is uh, this one's 45,000 feet. We have some to go to 51 and go as fast as we can go way up high. And then you got to work this middle zone here, which is where the things can get kind of interesting. 
Um, all of this is a, a particularly a high risk and if you take an airplane far beyond where the customer level will ever take it so that we know that it's safe or where the customer might inadvertently find themselves. Uh, but it's certainly not supposed to be there at one time. So we do those things and then you do everything else. So that's easy. But the reality in that tradition, my uh, engineering professors uh, like to say, uh, everything affects everything. It really does. And uh, there's no such thing as pre-launch. So if you're going to pay for it, one way or the other, and how you're going to deal with that, is, uh, is how what makes your program successful or not. So uh, again, I told you we got to take the chase airplane on wing with us. Uh, this is a Citation 10 Plus. It's the fastest uh, uh, commercial aircraft in the world now that the Concorde is grounded. Uh, 1.935 mile. Uh, in, in order to chase this sucker, we actually had to hire some F-18s from NASA. <laughs> nothing else to go that fast. So here's an illustration for the look inside of what Ingle has mentioned. Video please, bear with me. Looks like and he's uh you're Lots of voices, got close in the corner, you punch over. That's the chase pilot talking. Yes, yes. Pitching over, it's the first time we're taking this airplane after this high speed. All kinds of uh, stuff going across the screen. Keeping a close eye on, making sure that everything's in good shape. There it is. Nice and smooth. Point. And um, so here's the next one uh, is what it looks like when 
when everything goes like it's supposed to. Uh, with a little help from Kenny Loggins. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> systems and things certified to, to uh, get out to, to the customers. This is going to be a real quick uh, just snapshot of some of the other things that we do, right? Um, programs take a couple years, and here's an inside look at some of the other things that are hardly inclusive of the things that we do. Um, one of them is uh, water and gas investing. You might see that on the bumper video that I had going. Uh, we take the airplane and we drive it through a trough full of water, like this, about half of the water, to make sure that if you encounter that in service, when that big splash of water goes up, it doesn't damage the airplane, doesn't bend it. When it goes through the engines, it doesn't cause the engines to surge or plane out or anything like that, you can safely operate it. The way we figure out where that water went is we paint uh, essentially like a, uh, a dye uh, coat, uh, a dye coating kind of stuff all over the airplane between every single run, and then the water washes it away. And that, through the use of combined with the use of high speed video, tells us exactly where the water went. Well, why don't I just picture up there? No, that's not me. Um, I love these other people are, but uh, we actually work down at Roswell from Mexico, uh, where Pretty much every other manufacturer goes for a lot of field performance testing. Super long runway, pretty much nobody there other than aliens. And um, <laughs> in the desert, uh, we can do very controlled testing of a wet runway. It's not what I just showed you, that was water ingestion. Um, wet runways, we take big tanker trucks um, full of water and drive it down the runway for a section of the runway to make it wet, no cooling wet and then uh, take off or uh, land or do a projected takeoff on board the takeoff procedures and evaluate the handling the airplane and the brake system, things like that. But um, this particular trip, Boeing was down there doing the same thing, so it worked out great. We collaborated with them. Uh, trucks drove down the runway. Uh, we landed. Uh, we got our testing done, and they came in right behind us, and then they blew all the water off. So <laughs> <laughs> um, here's what that looks like, some of those tankers, uh, water tankers that uh, illustrate and some of the team members uh, on that particular trip. Well, the other things we do is uh, load it up as heavy as you can possibly take off, accelerate to the maximum takeoff speed, pull the engines to idle, slam on the brakes as hard as you can, and bring it to a stop. How long does that take? And can system handle. This is kind of a fun video buddy of mine pulled together, which shows uh, if you ever look at uh, you know, change the brake pads on your car, whatever little uh, uh, carbon brake pads, uh, they're kind of grayish uh, colored. Check these suckers out. Sorry for the shaking video, but it's kind of fun. So that's what those are. Those puppies are supposed to be hot. So that's taking a, a 30. 37,000 pound airplane out to about 130 knots, and then uh, slam on the brakes as hard as you possibly can for it to stop. So we do some of that. 
You guys are talking out there, basically uh, lower to get everyone across those. Pull them off so we can get to the next point faster. And so the whole purpose from a parking standpoint, why they do those. But, um, this is down at uh, Abram Air Force Base. We do extreme weather testing. So here's an illustration of the airplane with simulated solar loads being heated to 136 degree temperature. And um, yeah, it's uh, pretty interesting. Um, first time uh, down there, we climbed in, and my buddy wore shorts, and I wore jeans, and thought it was crazy. We sat down in the seat, and then let his leg rest against the side panel, which was metal, and he singed the side of his leg. Four days later, this is what it looks like 40 below. Exact same facility, everything. It's humongous. You put some five galaxy in here, that's why we put this picture on there. We actually put um, far more than just these three airplanes, but that was one trip that we did. It's kind of cool. Uh, and here, we're actually, we have to jack the airplane up and cycle the landing here and stuff like that. And the jacks, the maintenance jacks actually froze up, so we had to get these uh, big rubber cars out there to go blow hot air on them. So the jacks would work. So uh, every every system, the entire aircraft, and everything is tested in such extreme environments uh, throughout you know, throughout the program. This is uh, how we test for encountering icing conditions. We got an airplane that's full of uh, big tanks, it's full of water. We pump it out this uh, big spray bar up on the top of one of our other experimental airplanes, and then we fly behind it. Is what this picture is from, looking up the, the cockpit, and we put that plume of water over different sections of the airplane and see how it ices up. It's about a six and about twelve foot plume. It ices up about a six to eight foot section of the airplane at different times. So we can do it in small sections on a clear day where it's warm down the ground. Again, managing the risk. You wouldn't take a brand new airplane out in icing conditions and load it up with ice and say, hey, how's this thing fly? Is this just actually uh, work? Is it keep it clear? No, we're going to go one step at a time. We're going to do weird things like paint, uh, spray paint to different color, uh, contracting colors so we can evaluate how the ice is collecting on the surfaces and stuff like that. What that looks like ultimately over time, we then build into simulated ice shapes. So we don't fly the airplane with all this junk glued to it. So some of the illustrations of what some of these things look like. So the icing system, the certification rules require the icing system breaks halfway through a massive uh, icing encounter. You're going to end up with uh, some really nasty looking stuff growing on the wings. Uh, this is actually a normal shape on top of the wing. This stuff here uh, growing on the wing. And yes, we go out and fly the airplane with this stuff on there. Um, here's another look at some of the same kind of stuff up close. It's what that looks like. Uh, both from the previous one and some normal shapes, and these are the better shapes, actually. Uh, this one is what happens if you just enter the ice, I think pilots in the room, probably a couple already, right? Yeah, you guys. So you're flying along, right? And uh, you think, eh, there's just a little bit of ice out there. No big deal, right? It's nothing like the previous slide that I just showed. That's a big look ice, all right? So I always enjoy the opportunity to, to educate a little bit more and just entertain, hopefully, uh, for those of you that, uh, that are still awake with me, at least. Um, I was asked, what do you think is the worst one? This is a normal shape, normal encounter. This is the system that failed. And this one is, before you turn the system on, you just just into the cloud for about 10 minutes or so. And you're a little slow on getting the switches turned on. So almost everybody, uh, if they take a survey, they're going to say, yeah, this thing looks pretty gnarly. I don't want that thing hanging off my airplane. The reality is, this puppy right here, in my experience, is the most dangerous ice shape that you could have. Why? Well, the bottom line is, uh, you don't know you got a problem until you got a problem. These things, they're telling you all kinds of stuff. Like, hey, you got problems out there, you better start doing something different. But this thing is like perfectly normal. All right? So uh, we had to make some changes to this particular model. But this video will show you one example of what that particular little tiny shape can do. Still short of Just a level turn, nothing crazy, a little slow. Autopilot. Autopilot kicked off, we got a little too slow, a little part of the test. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
So as a result of that particular experience on that program, the FAA actually, um, that one was a contributor. There was a whole bunch of other contributors that we worked with the FAA that actually changed some of the training procedures that they had been teaching pilots about how to accelerate out of an installed condition. Uh, which works great if you got a clean wing. You put a little ice on it, you start having uncertainty. Even a tiny little bit of ice like that eight-year sandpaper, you can end up with all kinds of unknowns. So they've actually revised if you go over to, to um, uh, get a new type rating and learn to fly a new airplane. Uh, they're going to take you back to the basics, which is if you encounter assault in a pin install situation, but it goes down first and then bring the power on. Uh, for decades, they were teaching pilots to hold nose where it's at and show the power on the jet and climb out of this thing, no problem. Uh, not true. We do other interesting things. This is up in International Falls. Uh, this is the green view. Uh, you might see this if you're looking out to your airline window, you're going flying out of Chicago or whatever. It's a snowy day, but it's great. I've jumped on there to keep you guys from developing while you're on the ground. Once you get the flight from the aircraft system, you can take over. We take the airplanes all over the world. Uh, we go up to Leadville, Colorado, the highest elevation airport in North America. Uh, the other place that we go to is La Paz, Bolivia. Airports are <clears throat> nearly 14,000 feet, kind of an interesting place. Um, uh, and, um, Airplanes behave inherently different uh, when you're operating at different elevations. This one is in London City, one of the, one of the popular destinations for uh, particular business customers and trying to get into downtown London area. But what's unique about this uh, airport is you've got to bring the airplane in uh, at a much, almost twice as steep of descent angle as you're coming to land than a normal, like out here at Wichita. So inside of what, what, what that looks like, so these are sync videos that show the different angles and how we have to test the certified even in places like London City. So there's a 73 versus a normal visual, and these are location sync over the ground. So to give an illustration of the different type of perspective Again, the same videos, that's what it looks like standing by the runway versus the steep angle. We call this a shuttle approach. I think the shuttle is more like plus for our certification requirements, we've got to do the use case. We've got to land two degrees steeper than the actual procedures or any airport we're trying to certify is required. Again, once again, just in case the pilot moves up. And then make a nice smooth we have some unique capabilities at uh, Techtron Aviation in uh, industry uh, collaboration. Um, I'm glad you're going out to Bell or other companies. Uh, they put a refueling tank with a hose and drug unit in the 22, and they brought a couple of uh, patients out to get provided with a photo and safety chase um, for that kind of fun. And I'm going to take a picture of us uh, behind them. Or set the camera in the basket. And a good picture of us. Selfies. And that's uh, the 525 helicopter. We're trying to wrap up the certification on that. So it's, uh, uh, they don't have, again, kind of like our problem, we had to hire an F 18 to go fast enough. They don't have anything in their fleet to go fast enough to chase this thing. So we go out and provide uh, chase support for those guys. Um, it's a real picture. Uh, the nose boom is reflected from the instrumentation. It's not It's actually off to the side by about two feet. Of the basket, but Boeing hired us to provide photo uh, safety chase support uh, for a couple of years for the 767 tanker program. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Uh, and FedEx hired us for that icing tanker, spraying that uh, water back behind. They hired us a number of years ago uh, to ice up uh, some different sections of the airplane that they were going to the system certification on. Kind of cool. Um, any opportunity that I've had, I don't have any military background experience, but being a, a company versus spectrum aviation, we have a military division. Uh, so in 2017, I had the pleasure of getting to go work on our scorpion program that believed uh, 
lead the uh, airframe system segments of this uh, vehicle. And I'm going to fly this one here for the photo shoot. Uh, with this fellow and myself uh, co led this team of pilots uh, flying four aircraft uh, through the, the uh, 2017 timeframe and it continues to, to fly today as it uh, uh, drives towards utilization as an ISR and a heart attack vehicle. As I got a real quick, uh, a bit longer than uh, I planned, a real quick overview of uh, what some of the uh, insights into some of the flying operations. Again, uh, maybe some of the more bold flying interesting stuff that we do. Um, the least interesting part, but really important uh, from a uh, business standpoint, is delivering the aircraft after we certify it. Of course, deliver it, bring a customer in, hand over the keys. Um, my team provides support in order to train the pilots to go out and demonstrate and deliver these airplanes. Um, occasionally, when it's a brand new airplane, we do that ourselves uh, in conjunction with them, but uh, we provide the training and stuff for those guys. Uh, and then we are maintaining all the manuals, uh, providing all the training materials. We go uh, to the training providers and we work with um, developing the simulators. Uh, I spent uh, quite a bit of time in these simulators uh, telling the engineer that that doesn't like anything like a real airplane. Uh, <laughs> try to find somebody to argue with me. <laughs> so it's a brand new airplane, so I got that prerogative. So here's a, uh, just a compilation, one more quick video, some of the history of different things that we've done interesting-wise at the uh, Tech Generation Party Fest. Some of those made it to uh, production, some of them not. Uh, is it uh, generally uh, accepted not to uh, deploy thrust reversers in flight? <laughs> I, 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 uh, I noticed something like that. Um, what's parameters for something like that? Yeah, so great question. I'll keep the question. So uh, generally, it's uh, inadvisable to deploy the thrust reversers in flight. Uh, <clears throat> fact of the matter is, you can't do it. I mean, you saw the use uh, of us doing it, but um, the system is designed. You can do it. It is 
uh, so many failures in that that could possibly happen. You have to have a mechanic screw something up. You have, you have to have a, uh, an electrical signal get uh, cross-wired. There are so many things that have to go wrong for that to actually happen. Um, it's pretty crazy. But there are a few of us uh, that actually have flown with it like that. After we intentionally break the system, if you will, in a very controlled fashion to, to evaluate, uh, as I mentioned before, can you control this thing if that does happen? Again, so what can, what can possibly go wrong? And uh, if, if there is a chance that you can recover from it and bring the airplane back, then uh, odds are we're probably going to test it. Um, and so that was one that uh, I did have a um, to go out and test. Um, the, I think the videos, uh, the models are on the video, but um, the one that I've got the most experience with that testing in uh, was pretty amazing. Uh, the pretty much had the autopilot on, pushed the button, the thing came out, and just, just slowed down. That was it. The autopilot was happy to fly a little bit just like that all day long. There's some others that are a little bit more interesting. But, um, but just by the nature of the design, we build enough other inherent um, features into it. Like if it does come out, then the automation causes the engine to roll back to idle, so it's not blowing a bunch of excess stuff down, something like that. But great question. Yeah. Uh, what happens to the prototypes that you use for uh, development on all these steps, like when the system, airplane is certified, do they just park them someplace in the desert? <laughs> well, um, the picture that I showed you the latitude program, we have a four test article program. Um, three of those airplanes are flying with customers today. The prototype that has all the specific safety systems on it, the bailout hatch, the recovery parachute system, the, the loads of instrumentation, uh, those things are designed with such modifications and instrumentation and stuff embedded throughout that they'll never be sold. <clears throat> Besides, given the abuse that we have to put them through to show that they're safe under all these crazy uh, uh, up scenarios, uh, I'm not sure many people would want to buy them necessarily. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so unfortunately, uh, we do uh, ultimately never deliver them to a customer. Uh, we keep them in the fleet for quite a long time to use as supplemental support aircraft. Uh, chase aircraft, um, also uh, and provide support for offline operations and things like that that we can use internally, and enhancements to the, the model originally certified. So, um, <clears throat> but beyond that point in time, um, uh, make your gear games out of them or something. <laughs> yeah. What's with the long, thin probe on the nose? Yeah, great question. So uh, the question is, what's the uh, <coughs> excuse me, what's the long fan uh, probe on the on those? Our flight test nose boom. And any uh, most people are familiar with driving a boat, right? So when you drive a boat, you look out in front of the boat, and you're uh, it's a real big boat. You can actually see the waves starting to move before the boat even gets there. So you can see the water kind of starting to part, saying, hey, here comes a boat, better you have that kind of stuff. Or, you know, dolphins that go around, you know, swimming in front of the ships and stuff like that, and they're riding those waves. And so the same exact same thing happens, uh, air is a fluid, and uh, as the, <clears throat> I'll put this, here. Um, the same thing happens on an aircraft. Well, all of the, all of the sensors, uh, for all the displays and, and things uh, on the aircraft uh, are mounted to the body of the aircraft. But you have to calibrate them to know what the real flow is at that location. And in order to do that, you've got to get your sensors for flight tests way out in front of before where that air starts to separate, or for example, the boat where that water starts to separate. Um, so that you get true data to know how fast you're really going or what your true angle of attack is, uh, size of the angle, and different things like that. So, excellent question. Uh, we uh, we got past all the time. It's a refueling uh, probe, which is why my buddy took that picture. Uh, with the long case is super fun. Uh,
Uh, question is, have you ever had a complaint that it's a certified in service and they got grounded and lost certification? Uh, obviously, in the in the today's uh, in industry news, the situation of the Boeing uh, 737 Max is is uh, terrible. Uh, short answer is no. Um, but the the, uh, the qualifier to that is uh, there are very few airplanes that exist um, that have been in production for more than two, three, five years that don't have something that comes up that requires uh, follow-on uh, improvements, modifications, uh, service. Uh, the FAA manages that through airworthiness directives and their pilot mechanic can notice those things. Um, 999 times out of 1,000, uh, they're fairly minor. Uh, if you own a Cessna, you got to have the seat tracks inspected to make sure they haven't cracked so that your seat doesn't inadvertently slide back and take off roll because the, the latch uh, comes out. So every year you get that inspected. So those are the types of things that the certification process requires uh, folks to do on an ongoing basis. That we then take the information from that is a, a process called processing operational safety. And we feed that into new designs. And, uh, and we try to do everything we can to learn from all of those previous uh, field service issues and feed them into the next designs and learn to keep those mistakes. Good question. Oh, next year. Yeah, this is sort of a question, but um, have you ever had an experience with an engine on fire? We did, and we opened over of the CLM. Um, I haven't ever had an experience with an engine, uh, an airplane with an engine on fire. So, um, Short answer is no, not literally on fire. Uh, that by itself can be undoubtedly a harrowing experience. Uh, the testing that we do, um, thousands of times we are shutting the engine down to simulate that it is on fire and make sure that it, that it handles correctly. One of the most interesting um, ones that we do over and over and over again, uh, which makes training the simulator quite boring for us, uh, us, is you accelerate the takeoff speed, uh, you shut the fuel off to one engine, and now you have to continue climbing out at maximum weight in the hot area and all that other stuff with that one engine turn. It's absolutely terrifying uh, to your standard commercial run-of-the-mill pilots, but um, we do that thousands of times uh, in the airplane for real during test, and, um, and the process by which we execute on that maybe gets the safety down an acceptable level, of course. Uh, but it's, uh, Absolutely. I mentioned I don't have any military, uh, military experience, and uh, are there others in the field of similar background, and how many, and how does that work? <clears throat> Great questions, very common one. And, uh, and so uh, I went to study my life tour at the University of Kansas, uh, aerospace engineering, I love flying, I had a prior pilot license of the lines uh, while I was in high school. Uh, thought that you know, flying airplanes sounded boring, honestly, as a job, just, you know, airline pilot kind of stuff. Um, but then I figured out uh, after working an internship and design a Cessna that there might be something different to do with this. I could design airplanes and then also fly them. They have a pretty cool mix for, for my personality, right? Uh, come to find out, um, about two thirds historically, and it's still true today, about two thirds of the test pilots in the engineering flight test department at Cessna are homegrown flight test engineers who become test pilots. And that's my that's my path. And so one of my key roles currently in management in this chief pilot is to support the training of those guys. So uh, guys come in, they might be private pilots, maybe not. Uh, they go to the flying club, they get the basic have civilian ratings, they learn how to fly, they get their instructor um, certificates, they work on you know on their own time and building pilot experience, pair that with their job as an engineer. Um, and based on you know, a whole number of factors, uh, we provide them the, the opportunities uh, to to uh, get into the cockpit and 
and evaluate whether that's a career opportunity they like to do. We'd happy to talk more about it uh, offline if you'd like to you know individuals that, that might be interested in that. It's been a, it's been a great career path for me. Um, we've got a great mix. I just said about two thirds of us are homegrown, about a third are military retirees. Um, transferred in the military, and it's been a terrific uh, blend because if you're uh, on the job trained from a flight test engineer or a test pilot, you become an expert in the civilian design certification world, which is completely different than the military world. And yes, they are all airplanes, but they are not all the same. Um, it's like saying, you know, uh, it's fruit, right? So it's not all normal. Completely different. So, however, the military guys, they bring a terrific uh, background of formal training, military rigor um, and process um, that when you blend that in with the, uh, the expertise of the commercial and civilian world, uh, really has built a solid team that, that has served us well. And uh, we make it a priority in our organization to to uh, focus in on maintaining that blend and growing people internally. Not only that, but most people don't realize uh, how much amazing flight tests are going on in Wichita, Kansas, and uh, attracting people um, from wherever, East Coast, West Coast, or whatever, um, and getting them to stay uh, <coughs> is you know, a challenge for all of our companies, frankly. So find somebody that has a local interest otherwise that's interested in developing a professional role into something really interesting. Now, before long, they're going to figure out that um, this is where the real life test happens. And uh, I got a lot of, uh, a lot of friends and uh, cohorts in the Society of Experimental Test Pilots from all over the world. And very few people realize how much real life testing is going on right in the backyard here. <laughs> And a lot of them here. We had a lot of uh, uh, people from all, all over the world going to a site today, school in Wisconsin, and they were all over the state. Did you have anything to do with that? Yeah, so flight safety and Textronic actually partner uh, provide training. So I think is what you're referring to. Um, down there, uh, there's, there's a couple of locations uh, by both Beach and uh, Airport over there. But yeah, so a huge part uh, in the latter stage of, uh, of a program of my job, as I mentioned, is working with the guys that develop the training materials in order to train pilots to fly these airplanes, and then also to evaluate the simulators that they're using to train them to make sure that the simulator flies like a real airplane. Because um, from the outset, um, there's you know, about half a dozen of us that actually have flown the real thing um, and have to go and make sure that the simulator actually matches the real airplane. No question? Your dive test, uh, it looked like Right when you were getting max speed, that, that you were starting to put air on in, did I, did I see it right? Because it looked like your north, your artificial horizon was still up. Yeah. So, is there a my seat set off? Well, my uh, question is, uh, you know, was I seeing uh, control inputs uh, as your uh, wings were still low, but you're still holding in uh, low control as you approach max speed? Uh, your, your observation is, uh, is absolutely correct. Um, realize that that test is uh, on the order of uh, that particular airplane, <clears throat> 50 knots beyond the certified speed that that airplane is supposed to fly. <clears throat> so um, the criteria for safety and certification are that you can still maintain control. You might have to use some uh, maybe additional control inputs and things like that in order to do so, but um, can you safely Recover if you get a dust or upset or find yourself in that situation. Well, what was caused the roller? The idea of there's all kinds of weird things that go on, and you know the, the, the well. I, I do have degrees in aerospace engineering. My uh, specialty in flow field analysis and all that other stuff has, has since left me, so I have no idea specifically to answer your question. What, what was going on to cause that? It's curious, nonetheless. So, I was just happy to be able to maintain control. Last one, okay. Carl's got their emergency autoland function on there. I think that's on the G5000. The stubborn insurance, that's primarily for single pilot stuff. Is that correct? Or is that going to go into two pilots? 
Yeah, so the question is uh, the Darwin bottle of land. Yeah, they were a bunch of button. Yeah, so, it's, so right now it's only available in part 23. Uh, they're small, um, uh, normal category uh, type of aircraft that are uh, Sears, Jet, or uh, any other one that they put in their press releases, the Piper, or uh, uh, I forget. But, but anyhow, but yeah, so. Uh, a lot of cool things going on with automation. Uh, we were the first manufacturer to uh, incorporate, design, develop, and certify the full autofocal system with Garmin in the uh, Sovereign Bus and Bus airplanes. Um, pretty cool to be able to roll out on the runway and push a button and uh, just to whistle a couple of knobs and then uh, it automatically turned itself off uh, at about 50 feet before touching on my otherwise Pretty much never have to touch the ball. We don't want to. Uh, Makes for an incredibly smooth flight for passengers and is awesome on engine life and maintenance because all the, the things that, that uh, generally tie up uh, engine life and cause maintenance issues uh, oftentimes is the pilot doing something stupid inadvertently, over temping or, or whatever the features might be uh, overriding or whatever, whatever it is. But, um, Roll the computer into to helping manufacture. So, um, so validation is really driving up reliability, uh, smooth uh, of uh, operations, and uh, somebody somebody has to uh, figure out how all that works. So that's another topic we've had. Great questions. Uh, well, Thank you for listening to the Cosmosphere Podcast. Make sure you share and subscribe to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review on iTunes. They're crucial to the success of podcasts, so we'd appreciate it if you could take just a minute to leave a rating or review. They help more people find out about the podcast and the museum. For the Cosmosphere, I'm John Mullix.